So yesterday, October 31st, not only Reformation Day, but yesterday marked the third anniversary of the day that the Lord enabled us to purchase these buildings. Yay! So for those of us who were here then, God gave us front row seats, front row seats from June until October 31st to behold all that he can do. Big things he did for us. And we were amazed. We saw him even in the smallest detail. At his State of the City of Dress in January of 2013, just two months later, Mayor Riley, before the city council, said that saving these buildings from being turned into a private home and condominiums and offices, that that was the most significant thing that had happened in the city of Charleston in 2012. When we saw Mayor Riley last Sunday at the Thanks Joe party, he chatted with us and he said it again. One of the most important things that happened in the city of Charleston was the rescue of these buildings. But in reality, I think few were the people who believed that we could actually pull it off, that we could raise enough money to even put a dent in the $1.6 million price tag in the 90 days that we were given. But God knew otherwise. Now, we didn't raise all of the money, but we raised enough money, just what we needed the day before we needed it to close on these buildings. For the past three years, God has been faithful to us to provide all that we need to continue to pay for them. And we trust God will be faithful in the future. We're going to give you the opportunity to help us in that. We know that some of you are new to Redeemer and you've never had the privilege of partnering with us in this way. And we know that you want to as we seek to become debt-free here at Redeemer. But the passing of each anniversary... Year after year, it inspires faith in me. And I hope it inspires faith in you as well. Because we have seen, we have beheld what God can do. And that should inspire us with faith for the future. It should cause us to ask in faith, what next, Lord? What next? How do you want us to steward all that you have blessed us with? Lord, how can we partner with you in your continuing work here in the city of Charleston and around the world until the return of Christ. Now, we could have probably gotten answers to some of these questions from Deuteronomy 23, but I'm telling you, after last week, I needed a break. (laughs) And if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. So this anniversary Sunday, I wanted us to look at one of my favorite verses in Scripture. For answers to these questions, but not only that, for inspiration, for inspiration that we need to confidently join and partner with God in his continuing work here on earth. So if you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1, I want to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you. 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. How you reveal yourself to us in your word, Lord Jesus. We we see you. We know your character, your love, your grace, your mercy. We hear your promises, and Lord, it's to your promises that we cling as we make our way through this world and to the next, as we seek to be good stewards of the lives that you have given to us and the things that you have given to us to make a a difference in this world with the gospel for Jesus' sake. So we pray now that as we come to your word, you would bless us with understanding, with inspiration, with faith, with hope, with love. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And can I ask, is the microphone on? Can you hear? I can't hear. Is it on? All right, y'all can hear? Good, then I won't, yeah. Well, it was a crisp and chilly night in October of 1983. And I was on fall break from college, and I decided to attend a college and career Bible study to which I had been invited. Since it was my first time attending this Bible study, I decided that I would show up early to the pastor's house who was hosting the group. When I arrived, there were several people already milling around in the the large living room. A fire was crackling in the fireplace. Seated on the hearth was this stunningly beautiful girl. She was holding in her hand a guitar, and she was strumming it, and she was singing, and she had one of the most beautiful voices I had ever heard in my life. And y'all know how much I love music and singing. Well, it, it arrived time to have the Bible study. So the 30 people who had gathered by that time, we circled up and the discussion began. Pearls of biblical wisdom began to drip from the mouth of this stunningly beautiful girl. One amazing insight after the other. What? A singer and a biblical scholar? You all know how much I love the Bible. After the study... This girl, seeing that I was the new guy, came up and she began to chat with me. And I discovered that she had grown up as a missionary kid and that her hope was soon to be on the mission field as well. What? A singer? A Bible scholar? And a future missionary? You know how much I love missions. So not surprisingly, I thought, this is the girl I want to marry. But as always, there was a problem. Every other guy in the group had the exact same thought. (laughs) And I was not the most confident person in the world. Several of those guys were older than I was. They already had careers, and they were definitely more handsome than I was. I did have a full set of teeth, and that counts for something in West Virginia. (laughs) 
So over the course of time, I returned uh, to my home and was able to attend that study regularly. And I sought to, to bolster up my flagging confidence by seeking the counsel of others. So I said to them, hey, I like Kathy Cottle. I think I'm going to ask her out. What do you think? Well, I got one of three responses. The first response was, <laughs> the second response was, dude, you're way out of your league. The third response was the most painful because it was a combination of both. <laughs> dude, you're way out of your league. I would have understood if I had gotten that response just from the guys because, of course, they wanted the same thing I did. But even the girls closest to her, Kathy, had difficulty in concealing their laughter, and they attempted to steer me in another direction. Well, you know the rest of the story. We married. And whenever I would introduce Kathy as my wife, the standard response was, man, you sure married up. True enough. But kids, that's how I met your mother. (laughs) But listen, I do not tell you that story to pity Craig or or to pity Kathy. That might be the best thing. (laughs) But I tell you this story in hopes that you will put your confidence in God and all that he can do. See, with confidence, with confidence... You and I can partner with God to accomplish things that seem unlikely. We can accomplish things that seem impossible. We can accomplish things at which other people may laugh. When you and I don't partner confidently with the Lord, somebody else gets the girl. So if we are going to accomplish all that God has for us to do, We need to wring the truth out of this passage this morning and live in and work in the joy and the great confidence that it provides for us. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul knew what people were saying about him. He knew what the Corinthians were saying about him. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Apparently, Paul did not have a demanding presence. Apparently, Paul was not a good speaker at all. So few churches in America would hire the Apostle Paul. He didn't have the qualities that they seek the most. Yet, in spite of that, Paul was and remains the the greatest, most effective missionary who ever lived. And the God-inspired truths that he put to parchment with his pen have inspired faith and hope, and love for Christ and for others for nearly 2,000 years. Paul knew his weaknesses as well as anyone else, but Paul's confidence was not in himself. Paul's confidence was in the Lord. He who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. That was the source of Paul's confidence. It was in the Lord. And you and I this morning, we can have great confidence and we can be used by God to accomplish his work when we give God his rightful place in our lives. Where does he belong? At the beginning, 
of all things. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's where God is. That's where God belongs. Likewise, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's where God is. That's where he belongs. At the beginning, first, in all things. Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. In all things, we place God at the beginning. We put him first. In all things, God has the preeminence. God is the source of your life. He's at the beginning of who you are as a human being. He planned you before the foundation of the world. Scripture says so. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Scripture says so. He stands at the beginning of your new birth, your rebirth as well. You and I, our souls were dead. Sin had killed them. The guilt of our sin. The wrongness of our sin, the dirtiness of it, the emptiness of it, all of it was working together to kill our souls. But then the Spirit of God began to work in us. And the Spirit of God breathed life into your soul and my soul that sin had sucked all the life out of. Just as the Spirit of God bent over the the form of a man that that God had created from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so it is with us. God breathed his spirit into our lives to waken us from the dead so that we could see the beauty of Jesus and the hope that Jesus offers to us so that we could place our faith in Christ and look to him for life. Arise, shine, for your light has come, Isaiah says, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Ephesians 5, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In the beginning, God. Your life belongs to him on both counts. Your physical life and your spiritual life. You belong to God, both body and soul, in life and in death. And that's got to be the starting point for your life and my life. If we desire to be used by God, If we want to partner with him in accomplishing his purpose, we must start with him. And that's a struggle for us. Because as you know, there is an easier place for us to start. And that's with self. What I think, what I feel, what I want, what I like to do, what I can do, that's easier. So you and I this morning have to reorient our lives around this truth. Christ is the beginning. And when we start in the right place, it's much more likely that we're going to end up in the right place. And when we begin with God, when we start with God in all things, we have confidence that when things go awry, when things become 
downright difficult. In fact, they, they may be going miserably bad. But we are confident that we are in the right place because we began with God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of the decision, God. In the beginning of the relationship, God. In the beginning of the education path, God. In the beginning of the career path, God. It doesn't matter. In all of life, in the beginning, God. Then we become confident and we accomplish much. The unexpected, the difficult to believe when we begin with God and the work that he begins in us. He has begun a good work in you. Do you believe that? He has begun a good work in you. So when I say to you, man, you are some piece of work. I mean it in the best possible way. This verse agrees with Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I like the New Living Translation of verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, that translation catches the connotation of the Greek for workmanship, which refers to any work of art, but especially a poem. So you and I need to start viewing our lives for what they are. A work of art. A masterpiece that God is still working on. Still shaping, still molding if you want to think of your life as a sculpture. Still adding brush strokes if you want to think of your life as a painting. Still adding lines, writing them if you want to think of your life as an epic poem. You are a work in progress. You are. But that thought brings us to the next responsibility that we have this morning. If we're to be true to these verses, you and I now have to define who the you is. Who is you in verse 6? Well, by necessity, it's each member, each believer in Christ in the church at Philippi. But by address, the you is the entire church. Look up in verse 1. Paul writes, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons. That's the whole church. And then the you in verse 6 is in the plural form. So we see that what Paul is emphasizing here, what Paul is encouraging, is a corporate view, a whole church view. The church of Philippi was most likely a series of house churches that met around the city. And over these house churches... There were appointed overseers and deacons to guide them and to direct them. So while the individual Philippian believer, and while you and I this morning rejoice, and we do rejoice, we should rejoice in what God is doing in us, more importantly, we are pointed here 
in this verse to the work, the good work that God is doing among us corporately. I hope that you will forgive all the quaint stories that I seem to be full of this morning. But my grandmother. <laughs> yes, here's a, here's a story about Granny. Granny made many, many beautiful, beautiful quilts in her lifetime. And one step in making those quilts was that you had to pin the top of the quilt to the bottom of the quilt and the cotton lining in between, because that's the part that keeps you warm at night. Well, in order to do that, you have to spread the quilt out on the floor and you have to pin it, all these pins to to pin the pieces together. Well, Granny got old and it got difficult for Granny to get up and down off of the floor. And so guess who she called? Me, because I lived next door. So I would go help Granny with her quilt, and as I would crawl beside her uh, on the floor, I noticed that each individual square, each individual hand-sewn square was beautiful in and of itself. She made beautiful quilts. But when she sewed all those pieces together into one whole quilt, it was even more beautiful as one unified work. And that's the view of this verse. God brings each individual to faith. And in that person, God begins his beautiful work. But the even more beautiful work is when he takes us as individual squares and he puts us together into one whole. That's why Paul is is thankful for the Philippians because as an entire church, as a unified church, they are sharing the gospel and the kingdom of God is growing. And it's happening because the gospel is real among the believers at Philippi. And whenever the gospel is real among a group of people, good work is going to come forth. Paul doesn't specifically say in this verse, the gospel is real among you. But the evidence for the gospel is everywhere in it. Look again with me in verse 1. Paul begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It may not seem like it at first reading, but that is an example of the reality of the gospel. And here's why. Except for the letter he wrote to the Philippians, Paul begins every letter he writes to a church in this way, something like this. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. And when you read that, you could almost hear the defensiveness coming through Paul's pen. Because all the churches didn't get the gospel as well as the Philippians got it. In a lot of the churches, there was envy and there was strife. There was contention. Factions existed among the churches. Some said, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of Paulus. I'm a follower of Peter. I'm a follower of Christ. As I read earlier, members of some churches said less than kind things about Paul himself. Some churches would not move forward to maturity in Christ. Others abandoned the gospel and went back to their former way of living. So in order to give weight, in order to give authority to the God-inspired letters that Paul sent to them, he 
had to defend his apostleship. I am an apostle by the will of God. But when he writes to the Philippians, Paul makes no such defense. The Philippians might well say, look, Paul, we know you. We watched you. We saw your life. We saw how you lived among us. We heard the message that you brought to us. And anyone who brings the good news that you brought to us, news that changed our lives, you don't have to defend the gospel to us. The gospel is for real and you are for real. Wouldn't it be awesome if people said that about our lives? I tried to defend the gospel verbally and I appreciate when others do it as well. But in the end, it isn't the defense of the gospel with our words that makes the biggest difference. It's the life-changing reality of the gospel in us when we embrace it by faith. And when the reality is there, you don't have to make a defense. Even those who don't believe the gospel will find it necessary to explain your life. They'll have to explain the faith, the hope, the love. They'll have to explain the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the faithfulness and the goodness and the self-control. That's what the gospel brings by, by the power of the Spirit of God into our lives. And so our lives will need explanation when the gospel is real among us. And it was real among these people. Paul had beautiful memories of that gospel work. Look in verse 3. Paul writes, I thank God every time I remember you. Memories are powerful, aren't they? Our memories are powerful. Some memories we seek to forget. We don't want to remember them, but they come to our minds. Other memories are so beautiful that we like to dwell on them because they bring such joy to us. Oh, Remember when. And so it is with Paul. He has these memories. He remembers the circumstance that brought him to Philippi in the first place. Paul had a different plan for his life. He was heading down a different route. But long before that little annoying GPS voice that says, rerouting in 500 feet, take left, but, but, no. The Holy Spirit has been rerouting people for much longer than that. And that's what the Holy Spirit did. Rerouted Paul, put him on a different path than he planned to go. Paul had a dream of a Macedonian man saying, Hey, come over here and help us. And Paul knew that to be the call of God. And so he went to Macedonia. And what was the first stop on that trip? Philippi. And Paul and his companions go down to the river. They're looking for a place to, to pray. But what happens? They encounter this woman named Lydia. And Paul starts chatting up with Lydia and talking to her. And scripture says that the Lord opened her heart to hear Paul's message. And she believed the gospel. And Paul baptized her. And she and her family were baptized. And they became the first believers in Christ. And one miraculous conversion followed the next. And that's how it all began. And now for 10 years, 10 years, the Philippians have been faithfully partnering with Paul in the spreading of the gospel. Look in verse 5, verse 5. From the first day until now, the gospel 
was powerfully at work among them. And we know that because they did not give up. From the first day until now, they had faithfully partnered with God. Look in verse 27, down a few verses. Paul writes there, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened by those who oppose you. People oppose the Philippians. Look in verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I am having. When the gospel is real among people. When the gospel is real in a church, a church keeps going. When the gospel is not at work, a church gives up especially when times become difficult. The Philippians did not give up because the gospel was real and powerfully at work among them from the first day until the present they contended for the gospel. They were not a flash in the pan. Boom. They were like the good soil that Jesus talked about in the parable. The farmer who planted the seed. Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up, gone. Some seed fell on rocky places and it didn't have enough soil to take root. And so when the sun came out, it withered and died. It was gone. Other seeds fell among the thorns and they grew up, but the thorns choked them out. They were gone. But other seed fell on good soil and it produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, and 100 times. That's the church at Philippi, a multiplying productive church. This must be why Paul has such wonderful memories of these people. That's why these memories produce such joy in him and lead him to thanksgiving and prayer that that church would continue to be a fertile ground for the gospel. And so that's what I ask you to join with me and the elders and the leadership of this church in praying for Redeemer that we would be fertile ground for the gospel and that the gospel would spread in us, among us, and from us. We pray this prayer with confidence because it isn't as if we are asking God to do something he doesn't want to do. God has already given us this task as a church. That's why he's left the church on earth for this very purpose. It's not a pipe dream. It's not impossible. It's not something we can merely wish that we could do. We can do it with confidence. God says so. So make no mistake about it. This requires work. God begins the work, but he works with us. And I know you reformed people here. I'm just going to put you at ease because I want to read from a, a reformed theologian and commentator, so you don't think I'm crazy. He says, Any doctrine of salvation which does not do justice to both of these elements, God's work in us and our work for God, is unscriptural. A Reformed person said that. Can you imagine? They have to go together. Down in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So please notice that Paul's confidence 
in verse 6 is in God. But that confidence does not prevent Paul from praying for the Philippians. And his prayer was not, oh, well, Lord, I am confident in you. You do all the work. No. What does he pray? He prayed for the Philippians, for their work, for them to be partners in the gospel. So this is one thing of which I am confident this morning. I know this to be true. The Lord has begun a good work in us. Do you believe it? Jim, I'm glad you do. Does anybody else believe it? (laughs) That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the anniversary of one of the good works that God has done for us. But God is not finished with us. He has more work for us to do as a congregation. And so I call on you right now to take that personally to take that individually as one square in this beautiful quilt that God is putting together. Work with God until God's work is complete. Okay, work with God until God's work is complete. And it will be one day. Christ will return and the church, that's us, will be presented to him as a bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish. That's the day of the Lord to which Paul refers in these verses. That's the day when the work of the Lord will be complete. So let's make the most of the time. Can we do that? Make the most of the time while we wait. Together, let's make Redeemer a fertile place for the gospel. You can do that. Please be Confident. Be confident. You can talk about the reality of the power of the gospel in your life. You can. You can open your life to other people and allow them to see the power of the gospel at work in you. And they'll be helped and they'll be changed. Be confident. You can point others to the, to the truth of the gospel and to the requirements of the gospel. To help them bring about the change in their lives that need to come about. Be confident. You can open your mouth and share the good news of the gospel with people who've not yet believed it or embraced it. So be confident. But please also, I pray, be convicted. Be convicted. You must do something. You Individual square must do something to be part of this whole. You've got to partner with God in the gospel, working by the power of the Spirit, completing the good work that He has begun. What will that work be? What will that work be? I can only imagine, and I'm excited to see what it is. Are you? Are you? When you say yes, I'll stop. Let's not uh, ask the elders to come up this morning. And deacons, I want you to come forward too. And we're just going to pray now for Redeemer uh, as a congregation, for our work here in the city and for around the world. Some of our elders are out of town. Some of the deacons are out of town. Deacons, come on, relax. You don't have to pray out loud. Just come up front, those of you who are here.
You know, in this passage, God talk, Paul talks about the overseers and the deacons. So you all come up, and we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray out loud. We're going to pray with confidence. Guys, are we going to pray with confidence? Are we confident? Yes. For what Lord to do. So, uh, and somebody can go get the kids if they want it, and have them make their way over here uh, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask you to bow uh, your heads, close your eyes, and, and let's just seek the Lord for his work among us.